This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Mitch Broderick made over $100,000 while most of his friends back home were still sitting in the classroom. Mitch decided college wasn't fast-paced enough for him. He opted out and he joined Praxis at age 21. He completed the program, got hired on by his business partner in a VP of business development role, and his first year on the job, he closed so many deals that he walked away with over $100,000, which was a personal goal of his. Now, it's not all about the money, but man, how many people do you know at age 21 who are able to do that? Mitchell did it. You can do it if you have the drive and the interest. I don't think most people realize how many opportunities are available right now, how many amazing businesses are desperate for talent. They're hungry to find people to come in and help them grow. It's truly amazing, but young people don't know this. They think they've got to follow rules and and take tests and study for two, three, four, five, six years plus after being in high school and middle school and all these things for how many years. They think they need almost 20 years of classrooms and then a piece of paper called a resume that they blast out and just hope it does something for them. It won't do anything for you. It won't. You've got to connect with the opportunities now. You've got to prove your value creation ability. You've got to test yourself and see what's out there. And you will be surprised how many people are hungry and excited to have you come work with them. Meaningful, amazing work being done by startups all over the country. There has never been a better time to be in the world of small business, startups, innovating with, with, with everything from, from tech. It's not just software though. I mean, there's innovation in every industry going on right now with amazing teams that want you to be a part of it. Don't feel stressed about not knowing how to connect to them. You probably don't. You've been in class most of your life. We can. That's what Praxis does. We have an amazing network of these businesses. We can plug you in long before you ever thought you could, before you have any sort of credential or resume or anything like that. You don't need to worry about that. If you can create value and you can prove it and you're eager, we will help you. Discoverpraxis.com. You can join Mitch Broderick and so many others who have broken the mold, gotten off the conveyor belt and started on a life and career that they love today. Discoverpraxis.com. Check it out. Today, I am joined by Abby Lovett, who is a soon-to-be participant in the Praxis program. And Abby came to me. She sent me an email and said, all right, I want to come on your podcast. Let me make you a pitch. Here's some things I want to talk about. And uh, she won me over. I don't usually, just so you know, I don't usually take people's requests for interviews uh, because I usually like to, as I've always said, my mantra is... um, I just do things that are fun for me. So I have a long running list of people that I want to talk about uh, or that I want to talk to on the podcast ahead of time. And um, 
you know, I don't, when someone requests it, I usually say, eh, I might get to you, but Abby won me over. And, uh, Abby said she wanted to talk about three things and we'll get to all of these, um, an entrepreneurship camp that she launched and her decision to do Praxis, what, what played into that? What was that like trying to, to make that decision and her participation in debate and how valuable that's been as a young person. So before we get into any of that stuff, Abby, I want you to just give me your story. Who are you? What's your, what's your superhero origin story? Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Well, my, I've been homeschooled for all of my life. My mom started homeschooling my brother in first grade, which meant I started straight off in kindergarten. And I have absolutely loved every single second of it, primarily because it has given me so many opportunities to pursue different experiences. Um, I guess that started when I was more of like eight, nine years old. I started really loving the idea of creating a business, which when I was eight or nine years old, I didn't really know that was a business. I just kind of thought it was a fun way to make money and go buy ICs on the weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with my flexible homeschool schedule and the support from my parents, I started making my own lemonade stands, but they were never just lemonade stands. I always had a bake sale. I even one time told people driving up that if they gave me a dime, I would try to do a backflip. So I, I tried to do so many different things to make the lemonade stand the best lemonade stand. Um, when I was nine years old, I started my own business, which was just a raking business. Um, oh, yes. but it was, <laughs> yeah, now you must've grown up where somewhere with a lot of leaves. I actually, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is an interesting fun fact about me. Are you raking dust out there? <laughs> no, no, but I moved to Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, okay. when I was seven, which was a big, big jump, a big change. Okay. So, um, yeah, I moved down here and there are a whole lot of leaves. There's just a whole lot of everything down here. Um, and because of the humidity, no one ever wanted to break their own leaves. So of course they were going to let a cute little nine-year-old do it for them. <laughs> um, and how can you resist a motto that is, you will say, wow, am I right? <laughs> That's, that was your motto? Yeah, it was. <laughs> that is that is absolutely awesome. Yes. I'm, I'm always a little bit jealous of people who were really entrepreneurial when they were young. I wasn't at all. Oh, I, yeah. I did. I did have a few lemonade stands with friends, but because I didn't understand anything about accounting, sometimes we would we get so excited about the money we're making, we would put our own money into the pot so that oh. the pot would be bigger at the end and then be like, look at how much money is in this pot, not realizing like I put in six bucks of my own and then we divided it, you know, five ways and I lost money. But anyway, anyway. Awesome. No, yeah. I was one of those kids uh, for my lemonade stands. I paid my employees by a salary and I got a larger chunk of the salary because you I had employees at your lemonade stand. I even wrote up a contract for one of my employees pretty much telling this little kid, I am your boss. You're being paid 50 cents an hour. And if you break my rules, I will fire you. Um, so where do you think that entrepreneurial spirit came from? Like, did you see this modeled by your parents or do you just think you had the freedom to explore? Is that, is that unique to you and your personality or, or what are your thoughts on the sort of nature and nurture of that, that kind of drive? My dad is very creative and he's always been very creative. He explains me as kind of, uh, I thought it was funny because just last week at my graduation party, he explained me as someone who is breaking the mold because I was different than um, my other family members. But I think that I get that inspiration from my dad because he's always been the one thinking outside of the box and coming up with crazy new fun ideas. And then I also get it from my mom in the sense that um, she laughs about this, but she is a very inside of the box thinker. But that means that she's uh, 
she is our ground. She grounds us and she tells us when one of our ideas just isn't going to work because it costs way too much money. Um, so I've gotten a great balance from both parents. I've gotten my entrepreneurial mindset and spirit from my dad, but I've also gotten um, the brains it takes to not do a crazy idea just because it sounds fun from my mom. It, it's so valuable to have someone close to you who's willing to tell you when they think your ideas are not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, because it, it, it helps you develop the capacity, which is really necessary in business and professional life, to to separate yourself from your ideas. So like, obviously you're going to pour yourself into something, but to be able to analyze your own work and say, yeah, this isn't working without feeling like I'm not working. I'm a bad person. And that's, I just think, you know, having someone that you know, loves you be able to tell you when they think your ideas are bad, helps you cultivate that ability to say like, okay, this idea isn't working, but like that doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. That's cool. Right. Yes, it's been very helpful from both of them. <laughs> so, so, okay, so you were, you know, running lemonade stands, uh, wowing people with your leaf raking business. <laughs> and this was while you were, what kind of, what was the educational structure like? Homeschoolers kind of run the, the gamut from like totally unschooled to, to highly structured. What was your experience like? I would say that mine was probably right in the middle. Um, my mom, she let us do fun things and she let us experience life, but then she also had that structure. So I had a math program I had to complete. I had uh, a Was grammar. Was it Saxon math? Oh, thank goodness, no. Oh. <laughs> that's what I had. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. I feel so bad for you. So do I. Uh, <laughs> uh, we actually did. My mom tried out one of those programs because we were trying. Uh, we had Singapore math, which is also terrible. And um, so she tried this program called Life of Fred, which is literally a story about a five-year-old professor who goes through life teaching you about math. And I hated that because I was like, this isn't math. This is a five-year-old professor. Um, I'm way too practical for something like that. So, um, but yeah, we did have, we had structure. We had to take tests. We went to classes outside of um, just classes at our house. So like uh, homeschool co-ops and things like that. Yes. I was involved in a couple different um, co-ops throughout the years. So there was structure, but then she also uh, was very graceful and lenient whenever we had some crazy fun idea that happened right in the middle of a school day. She would let us do that and let us have fun with it. So some of the common questions and, you know, things that make people baffled or concerned about homeschooling, and I, and I grew up, I was homeschooled as well, so I kind of, you know, was familiar with this, are, you know, aren't you worried about being properly socialized? Uh, did you ever encounter that question? What did you think of it? And did you, and did you ever like want to go to school? Uh, what, what, while you were going through it, how did you sort of perceive yourself in terms of your ability to socialize with, um, people who did go to school or did you wish that you could, what was that like? Honestly, the only time I ever wished I could go to school and the only reason I ever wished I could go to school was because I didn't know what it was like to ride on a school bus. And I thought it was really <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, but other than that, no, not at all. Because I, I mean, I went to co-ops once a week. And then outside of that, we hung out with friends all the time. And then when I was about 12 years old, I got involved with speech and debate, which meant like every single month I was traveling across in different states across the U.S. making friends all over the country. So I actually kind of turn that on them and I say I would be worried about the same thing if I was in public school because I have connections across the U.S. and I have friends in Washington and I have friends in Washington, D.C. 
And those type of friendships and experiences that you can have because of how spread out your friends are and how many you have uh, is highly beneficial. Not only that, but because I was homeschooled and specifically in speech and debate, all of my friends were extremely like-minded. So it's not very hard to make friends because um, you walk up to someone and they are almost exactly like every single one of your other friends. So it's a whole lot easier to make friends. Um, and then you just kind of learn how to socialize so that when you go outside of that, you aren't completely awkward, which I will admit sometimes I, I do have those awkward <laughs> homeschool situations where I'm like, ah, I forgot how to talk to a person. Um, so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, I, I, yes, I get that. Okay. So when you say you're, you're, you know, you're in debate, speech and debate with other homeschoolers. And so you guys have some sort of common interests and share common experiences. How much of that commonality is based on things like sewing your own clothes and wearing, you know, 18th century ball gowns and churning butter and sort of the stereotypes of, of homeschoolers. None of that. None of that. <laughs> there are so there. I always tell people when they, they make those kind of jokes about homeschoolers, I say, oh yeah, those kind of homeschoolers exist. They're very rare. Oh, they do. But there are, there yeah. are weirdos and eccentrics, but there are weirdos and eccentrics in every environment, you know, oh, some, yeah. some percentage of them. No, I would say that um, we um, uh, we don't fit the stereotype at all. I, I will admit some of us, we are all nerds. I would say that that is the common denominator in all of us is that we enjoy spending our pastime talking about policy and researching. Um, but that, I mean, we're all pretty cool nerds, I will have to say. Um, <laughs> we have a good time and we're able to socialize and we're not completely weird. And surprisingly, not every friend I have has... 10 siblings, you know, I'm actually, I only have one brother. So, um, most of the families are kind of smaller every once in a while you get that random, I have 12 kids type family, but no, it's pretty non-stereotypical. So, um, tell me about how did you get into speech and debate and what, you know, specifically for homeschoolers, I noticed that a lot of homeschoolers, there's a very active speech and debate community, um, among homeschoolers. What, what sort of brought that about? What interested you and kind of how was it set up? Is this like a, a club locally or is this a, a national uh, organization that you were a part of? Yeah, it's actually both. So I'm a, I'm a part of a national league called the NCFCA, which if I try to spell it out, it's the National Christian Forensics Communication Association. And then from that national league, they go down into smaller regions, which is usually about five states or so, sometimes smaller, depending on the size of the state. And then within each state, we have a local club. So I'm involved, obviously, in the Bat Baton Rouge Speech and Debate Club. And then that just keeps on growing um, to the regional level and then to the national level. Um, as far as what got me involved or what attracted me to speech and debate, nothing. <laughs> I did not want to do it at all. Um, my, mom, my mom saw a speech on the color orange and she was so shocked that someone could take the color orange and talk about it for 10 minutes and keep her interest that she thought immediately I had to do it. So she made me go to a tournament three weeks later, a week before the tournament. Uh, I didn't even know that you had to type out your full speech because we have some terrible thing called script submission that you have to turn your speeches into. <laughs> you don't um, like rules very much, do you? I, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, so I didn't even know. I just had an outline and I was planning on going in there and just talking 
from my outline. And so a week before I had to do this, I remember I probably cried like five times because my mom was forcing me to do speech and debate. Um, but by the end of that tournament, I got bit by the debate bug, as we call it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to stop. I was in debate my next year. Um, I was coaching club helping coach club three years later and now I'm still I'm taking that on past high school and working with a debate company because I don't know uh once you start doing it and once you get involved with that activity there's no going back what do you think that speech and debate is something that you know like I, I guess who is it good for is it only for extroverts or uh, people who really love research? Who, who are the kind of people that tend to gravitate towards it and excel in it? I think that anyone has the potential to excel in debate. And I think that debate has the potential to be beneficial for everyone. I think that those who gravitate towards it, though, are the ones who are a little bit extroverted. Now, sometimes the introverts really excel in it because they like to stare at their computers and research all day. So they have a ton of research. I am more of the side where I love to stand in front of someone and talk. <laughs> so um, it's those type of people. And honestly, people who are not afraid to embarrass themselves really excel in debate. And that's, I mean, that's the motto that I've had throughout all my seven years is just fake it till you make it. I was my first year, de I debated Russian policy and I was 13 years old. And I might have been able to point out to you where Russia was on a map, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> and I knew absolutely nothing. But I always got pretty high speaker points. They rank you in as far as like one through four, who is the best speaker in the round. And I always did super well in that because even though I was saying nothing that made sense, it looked really good because I was confident. And those type of people who can get past the initial fear of presenting information to another person, they can do really, really well in debate. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, I, I've i met so many young people who have done debate and they kind of are disproportionately interested in a lot of the things that, that I'm a part of. So, you know, we get mm -hmm. a lot of interest from them in praxis when I go and speak at um, seminars by the Foundation for Economic Education and places like that. There's a disproportionate number of people there, and I've always kind of wondered what is it about, what is it about debate that does that? And I, I don't know for sure, but I have a, a, a couple possible things. And you mentioned one of them is doing debate. It it makes you able to kind of take yourself less seriously. You put your best foot forward, but you don't let it destroy you if you mess right. up because you're going to mess up. You're going to lose, you know, a lot of the debates that you're in, you're going to say things accidentally, et cetera. And, you know, so that, that sort of, uh, helps you overcome that fear of failure, which makes you more willing to try new experiences, to go to a seminar you've never been to before and try it out to explore new ideas, look at alternative ways of doing things. But the other one is just the fact that in debate, from my understanding of the structure, you know, you're given a resolution of some kind and you don't usually get to pick if you're going to be arguing for or against it. And you may actually have to do both in the same, you know, season or something like that. And right. so you, you develop this ability to look at things, not as just incredibly like, you know, I, this is right, this is wrong. And the other side is a threat to me and it scares me. It's like, look, there are good arguments that could be made for a lot of sides of things. It doesn't mean that there's no objective truth, but it means that there are there are legitimate challenges that are interesting and not threatening. I guess not, not being threatened 
by ideas that you disagree with. Being able to engage them and maybe knock them down, but not seeing them as inherently threatening and something that should be sort of shut out. That interest and willingness to engage in um, an experiment with things outside of your own set of uh, you know experiences and, and beliefs is, is a really cool trait. Yeah, I think Aristotle actually said something about that, how, um, you know, a well-educated man is someone who can engage in an idea without, you know, going over to that side of it. And I think that's what's so awesome about debaters is that, like you said, I mean, um, I could believe strongly in a case that I am presenting, but I have to know, too, that there might be a point, which I have done every single year, where I have to debate against that. So then I have to start thinking of the reasons why the idea I believe in might not actually work. So like I, like you said, it causes me to look at both sides, but not think of either side as threatening to what I believe, but then actually in the end, helping me strengthen what I truly believe. Yeah. So, so what would you say to someone who says, yeah, but that isn't that worrisome. Aren't you just turning into some, you know, rhetorician who has no beliefs in anything and says there's two sides to everything. And you, you know, you sort of lose all connection to principle or right and wrong. I, I mean, I have not seen debate people, uh, become that way. But what, how would you respond to that kind of concern that someone might have? I think that you can believe in something uh, very strongly and still be able to recognize where it has faults. So uh, for example, with my debate case this year, I believe that by passing it, you know, in the real world that it would probably do some benefit. However, at the same time, because I've been in debate for so long and I, I'm that sort of critical thinker, I'm able to look at the negative sides what, of it. So, What is the resolution? The resolution this year for the NCFCA is that the federal court system should be significantly reformed. So okay. um, we've looked at so many topics underneath that. I'm specifically looking at reforming immigration courts. Um, so, But I think that what debate has helped me to do is be able to you take a belief that I truly believe in and look at the negative sides of that, but only have that help me strengthen my belief. So it's not necessarily of looking at both sides, but it's being able to see both sides and have a conversation with someone and then using that to strengthen what you already believe in. So you are graduating or you just did graduate from high school. Is that correct? That Saturday, I just graduated. You just, oh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. Okay. So as you were sort of completing your, I mean, you're obviously very entrepreneurial. You've got, you know, communication skills. You're very interested in a lot of things. Um, you've got uh, what what a good friend of mine calls a forward tilt, where you're sort of you're leaning into things because you're interested in, 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 you know, engaged in the world. What were your plans in your sort of sophomore, junior, senior year? What were you kind of thinking? What did you want to do next? Or if someone asked you, what do you want to be? You know, the common question. How was how would your response be to that? And you know what what sort of changed over the last few years as you got closer and closer to that date? You know, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I was a sophomore, junior. I just knew that I wanted a college education. Um, my, I mean, I've always been very career minded, as I tell all of my friends, and I've always been kind of one of those girls that plans their future career more than they plan their wedding, because that is what I'm looking forward to. And so what everyone has told me, obviously, is that a college degree is the best way to get that. So um, I was pursuing the best colleges out there that I believed were a fit for me. I, was, I started touring colleges when I was a sophomore 
in high school, which is usually way too early, um, like driving hours away to go and visit schools because I was so excited to get a college education. And then I was, um, I was driving to one college and, um, just trying to think of what I actually wanted to do because I was about to meet with an admissions counselor and thought that might be helpful for him to be able to know what I wanted to pursue. And I started, my mom gave me the idea of being an event planner. And that just, I mean, it just sounded so perfect. I was like, oh, that sounds like something I could be really good at. So then as soon as I got home from that college trip, I decided I was going to practice being an event planner. And so I organized my very own craft show, which I thought was going to be about six of my friends, ended up being 20 people from the area, um, including a vendor from New Orleans, which is about an hour and a half away, who has been featured in numerous magazines before. So um, I did this huge event and I just absolutely loved it. I mean, it took all the time out of my day for months to plan this event and I loved every single second of it. I did another one the following year, and the more and more I practiced and got experience, I started dreading four years of sitting in a classroom where I wasn't going to be able to do any of that. So I started brainstorming ideas of how I could start a business and be a student, and none of those really seemed to be working out. And so as someone who has wanted a college degree for ever since she was in middle school or understood the importance of a college degree, I all of a sudden was a person dreading going to college for four years and not being able to experience what I truly loved. Was that a, was was that sort of a scary moment where you're like, Oh, like this thing that I've sort of been, you know, setting myself up for all this time. Now it's, it's making me, you know, like I'm (laughs) dreading it. I'm not excited about it, but, but what next, what do I do? What, What was that process like of kind of trying to work through that? Oh, it was very scary. Actually. Um, you can ask Cameron Sorsby. I applied for Praxis at first in November or something, whenever I first was coming to this realization. And I actually found Praxis just because um, I wanted to just learn all I could about entrepreneurship. I literally Googled entrepreneurship classes and Praxis was one of the first things that came up. And that's how I found out about it. And so I applied and I actually got turned down at first because I I didn't respond to any emails or (laughs) I was just like, here's my application. Uh, I'm not going to do anything now. Um, And so that's when Cameron offered to talk to me on the phone. And I just I, I straight up told him like, yeah, I know I didn't complete anything you asked me to do because I have no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and then I, I just kind of thought about it for a few more months and I applied to Praxis again. I went through everything, but at the same time, keeping the idea of college open, I put all my applications in the colleges. I got accepted in a few places, um, started looking for scholarships. And just the more that those two things were progressing, the more I was leaning towards Praxis and the more I was leaning towards experience and the more the thing I had been comfortable with for the majority of my life felt more uncomfortable. And so as that transition kind of was made, I mean, I'm still scared about it, (laughs) to be honest. I still am, but I am very excited. And I feel like, um, I feel like this is going to be the best way that I can get the most out of at least this next year of my life, probably the next few decades of my life. I always find it if, if there's ever something big and different that I'm going to do that I'm not scared of, it's a little bit disconcerting because it yes. probably means that I'm, I'm like overly arrogant or underestimating the challenges or, you know, there's, 
there's gotta be, there's gotta be a little fear because there's definitely an element to the unknown to, to all of the great uh, challenges and adventures. Right. Did you right. have, did you have, um, you know, pushback or difficulty with family or friends kind of saying, what are you doing? You can't, you know, you can't skip out or defer college for a year. That's, that's crazy. Or were you pretty in, in a pretty supportive place with friends and family? Well, my mom cried the first time I told her um, because sorry, Abby's mom, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. She is so excited for me now. I should have uh, put that disclaimer in there uh, ahead of time, but she, I called her on the phone. I was actually at the summit for a business I was working for in South Carolina when I first, like the idea first popped in my head that I maybe shouldn't go to college. And I called her, she kept it together. Then she got off the phone and she just bawled because college was a great time for her. I mean, she loved it and she learned so much. She and my dad met in college, all, you know, all the stuff that she was looking back on that she absolutely loved. Um, my dad was also a little bit, um, worried at first because he has had difficulties himself, um, just with like not having a college degree and just things have changed so much in the past 30 years from getting a college degree back then and what it means to get a college degree now. And so he was looking at friends of his and himself and just like the difference that that college degree made. And so at first he was telling me, you know, I really think that you should go to college. But the more, um, like I said, I mean, everything just changed the closer it got to me actually being accepted. And then once I was accepted into Praxis, my dad was very excited for me. I mean, he got online, started helping me look for cars, started looking, you know, at like the possible places I could be placed and what the housing looked like. So he is now, both of them are very excited for me. My friends laugh. They're all very excited for me um, because I tell them probably every day that I'm not going to college. That's our little, that's our little joke. I just text <laughs> them and I say, Hey, guess what? I'm not going to college. And they laugh and they say, no, I had no idea, you know? <laughs> so I, ha I am very supported by so many people. And that was shown, um, so much just this past weekend at my graduation party, um, hearing people that are, you know, in academics as a living coming up to me and saying, you know, this is going to be awesome for you. So I'm very excited about that. So tell me about this entrepreneurship camp. This is a, an idea that you had, you wanted to sort of create this camp, this program, and launch it. Um, what prompted it? What were sort of the, the goals and the intended audience? And then, and then kind of walk me through uh, what's happened since. Yeah. So a few years ago, um, just as a way of making extra money, I ran a girls camp where I just invited a bunch of younger girls over to my house and we just played for like four hours for five days a week and their parents would pay me and we would swim and we would cook and we would learn a bunch of stuff. And I thought that was a great summer job because it gave me the experience of learning how to plan an event, the experience of watching children, and the funds I needed to get through the summer. So um, as this summer was approaching, I, I mean, I've done this girls camp for probably three years in the past. And so as this summer was approaching, I realized I didn't really want to do just a girls camp. I wanted to take it a next step further. And uh, that was probably urged by me looking through all my past documents and finding this contract I wrote when I was nine years old and <laughs> old business cards. And I just started thinking how awesome it was that my parents allowed me to do that. Like that 
I had parents that would allow me to go door to door and hand out my business card at nine years old saying, can I rake your lawn? Um, and so I wanted to share that with other kids. And instead of just teaching them how to do crafts or teaching them how to be a public speaker, because they'll probably learn that as they get older, I wanted to teach them to have the confidence to go out and make something happen that they really wanted to happen. And so we were going to do that through two different parts of a camp. The first one was a shark tank design, which I was really excited about, um, where these kids got to think up their own product. And then they learned how to pitch the idea, which I'm using bigger words, but in like little people language, we were going to just explain their project and uh, talk about it to another person. And then at the end of the two days, after they've actually worked on their product, worked on the marketing of their product, they got to present it to the sharks, which were me and my other friend who's really into entrepreneurship, Noah Howard. And um, so that was really exciting. And then the second part of the camp was going to be a lemonade stand where kids would be challenged to think about what makes a lemonade stand great. So there has to be more than just lemonade. There has to be, you know, baking supplies. There has to be pink lemonade, of course. Um, <laughs> and there has to be, you know, different attributes to that. And then on the last day, we would run our own lemonade stand. So that was kind of the structure. And then I started marketing it. I developed my website through Splash That, and I was very excited. And then no one signed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are you marketing it to? I was marketing it, marketing it mainly to homeschool parents. Okay. Um, my age range was about 8 to 12 years old because that's when I first started getting really involved in entrepreneurship. And I, I mean, I did a lot to market it. I went to a homeschool convention with like 600 people and just walked around for five hours handing out flyers to everyone I saw. I had a sign-up list. I went to co-ops and spoke at their morning announcements and advertised it, um, made a Facebook page, all of this stuff, and not even interest. Like Usually when I do something like this, someone emails me and asks for more information or they talk to me about it, and there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. So I started asking um, one of my mentors and my dad about like what they thought was the issue. And both of them kind of agreed that the issue was that entrepreneurship is a very difficult thing to kind of grasp as a mom of an eight to 12 year old or as an eight to 12 year old. And I think that what most parents believe entrepreneurship is, is kind of just someone being creative to figure out what they want to do with their life. It's kind of more of like a middle ground instead of it actually being a career or actually being a passion. Um, so they didn't really see it as a skill that their kids could have, but more as just like, oh, entrepreneurship, that's kind of cool. Um, so I canceled the camp actually, and now I'm taking that energy and I'm trying to figure out a way to make entrepreneurship something that is appealing to that age group and make it something that looks tangible. And so the parents will say, I want my kids to have that experience. That is, uh, that's, that's such a great lesson just to get that feedback from the market. You know, among homeschoolers, you could do like, call it Latin camp and the parents would be like, oh, I want my kids to learn Latin because that's really valuable and practical. And then when they get there, you just secretly turn, teach them entrepreneurship. No joke. I thought about that. <laughs> um, what, what do you think, like at what point did you realize I have to hang this up and did you feel, you know, pretty down and defeated by that? Yeah, I, I probably decided in the last couple of weeks because um, 
I had an early bird discount and no one signed up. And so I was like, <laughs> I kind of tried to subtly extend the early bird discount with no one noticing. Um, and that didn't work. And then I tried another promotional gig where I would like give a discount for anyone that referred another person. And that didn't work. Um, I texted people individually. So I went from kind of like a larger idea of marketing to a smaller um, direct marketing and that didn't work. And so after about three or four different tries of getting this thing off the ground, I just kind of realized that it was not going to happen this summer. And it was, it was pretty disappointing because I personally was like, what are you talking about? This is a great camp. You want your kids to come to this. Um, but yeah, I was down about it. But then as soon as I started thinking about what the issue was in the camp, I, my, creative problem solving mind just automatically went to how can I fix that? And how can I in conversations talk to parents, not just to convince them to go to my camp, but to convince them to get their kids into that entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting with anything like this with most, you know, I mean, there are some exceptions, but most products or projects or, or programs that you put together in order to make them succeed, you have to do a lot of talking about it and promoting it and sharing it with your friends and social media and saying, I'm so excited about this. Tell everybody about it. You know, so you got to tell a lot of people about it to increase the chances of success, but telling a lot of people about it also increases the at least perceived cost of failure because now when it doesn't work, all these people you've told, Hey, what happened to that thing? And you have to keep telling them. And then they all, you know, even if you have gotten over it and you're like, yeah, I, you know, I learned, I don't feel like a failure. They always feel bad. Oh, I'm sorry. It didn't work out. <laughs> and right. it, it's, it's a tough, I think that that's where a lot of people stop. They realize they come up with something and they're like, Oh, I don't want to advertise this or tell a bunch of people because what if it doesn't work? Then I'll, then I'll be embarrassed. You know, then I'll have put something out there that nobody bought. And and I think, you know, we talk about this with um, you know, our participants. They all build a website and they, you know, they start blogging and practice, you know, getting into the habit of sort of shipping things out there. And you'll find that a lot of people think that the thing that keeps them from blogging is, yeah, but what if I put it out there and like people actually read it and then they're, they're calling me out because I'm not an expert or, oh my gosh, my content's not good enough. People will see this. And what they realize when they start doing it is that, it's the opposite. Nobody reads it. And then that's almost even worse because they're like, oh no, nobody sees it. But, but that fear of people seeing it and what if it's not perfect? What if it doesn't work? Um, that could be a big challenge to overcome. And I think just being able to, being able to, to bounce back from that and say, yeah, it didn't work out. Um, it's okay. You know, I learned from it is, is so huge. I mean, I just think that's, that's impressive. So kudos to you, uh, in terms of why it didn't work or at least this version of what you're trying to do didn't, didn't take off. Why do you think it is that entrepreneurship is not something that at least homeschool parents, and I would assume most parents and young people are sort of actively looking at as an experience or a skill uh, that they're interested in? I think that most parents think of being an entrepreneur or at least uh, directly correlated with being a business owner. And so when a kid is eight to 12 years old, they're not saying, okay, what is my kid going to do when they grow up? You know, they're not thinking career, they're thinking practical skills that will help them get through elementary and high school. And so when you say entrepreneurship, I think parents automatically go to the, to the question, well, what if my kid doesn't want to own a business? You know, what if, what if they're never going to need to know these skills? And I think that's where my disconnect came in place is that I was explaining it as entrepreneurship, 
which I understand and I know how impactful entrepreneurship has been to my high school career. But then to a parent who doesn't understand that, it seems more of just like, well, my kid does not need to know how to run their own business. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. And this is a really common thing, I think, with a lot of a lot of companies or organizations if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, where you have, you know, first you have to satisfy food and shelter before you can think about the next thing, and you know, very at the very top, when everything else is satisfied, you're, you're focusing on self-actualization. And often if you're further along in life, you kind of see things in terms of fulfillment and self-actualization and sort of abstractions like entrepreneurship and the people you're trying to sell to are often at a at a different spot on that pyramid. They're thinking right. about passing tomorrow's test. They're thinking about really, you know, the the sort of food shelter type stuff. And sometimes trying to 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 bridge that gap uh, can be a real challenge. I mean, I, I'm wondering, and maybe this wouldn't work either. But it just, you know, it's taking that same audience. What if you were like, uh, make you know, learn how to make learn how to make money this summer, even if, if you know, hey. even if you're 10 years old. So then to them, it's like, oh, I can make money to buy that video game I want. But what you're really, you know, that that's just, you know, a benefit. What you're really offering is this mindset of entrepreneurship. Um, that can be a challenge though to fit, to figure that out. Okay. So, so t let's say you've got, you know, parents, uh, of children in that age range and they, and they don't really think of entrepreneurship as something they need to, to, to be thinking about or worry about with their kids or something that is really valuable. Give me your elevator pitch. How would you, I mean, okay, I'm a parent. I have an 11 year old son. So pitch me directly. Why, why should my child, uh, gain entrepreneurial thinking and entrepreneurial skills? Why, why is that valuable? Simply put, is that being an entrepreneur or at least having that entrepreneurial mindset means that you can solve problems creatively. So when I am going, it, it transfers to every single part of my life, just having those business and entrepreneurship classes and running my own business. Whereas if I'm taking a test, I can ace well on that test, just not necessarily because I know the information, but I'm a good test taker because I, that test is a problem and I'm going to solve it. Um, if I am a debater, I can go up and I can speak in front of an audience, even if I'm not even sure what I'm talking about, because I am a creative problem solver and I'm going to make sure that I know that information and I'm able to give it to someone else before I speak in front of them. Um, just like everyday things, doing job interviews, um, talking to another person, these are all different things that if you think differently can give you uh, a head start on everything else. For example, um, my experience in business has taught me that you always dress slightly above dress code or slightly above what everyone else is wearing. And I've learned that through entrepreneurship and business. And so just going into my Chick-fil-A interview, I wore a blazer and slacks and nice shoes. Wait, so you worked at Chick-fil-A? Oh, oh, why did I mention that? Chick-fil-A? No, like I'm not surprised. Chick-fil-A has the most amazing quality, high quality teenagers that run that place. It's yeah. unreal. They, I don't know how they select so well, but they do a great job with their talent identification. Let's be real though. The bosses there who are actually adults really are teenagers too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did not like that job. Really? Um, no. Yeah, I did not, but it was a good entryway into the business world. Probably so I a learned... lot of rules to follow. Yes. Yes. And then I went to another job and I was like, oh, 
I just, I couldn't stand shift work for the longest time, at least where I had to stand in front of a, a cash register. I was like, I'm not doing anything with my time. Um, so yes, I did work at Chick-fil-A. You know, it's interesting in talking about framing these things and sort of, you know, making your pitch for why something's valuable, where I'm always tempted to frame things in terms of sort of fulfillment, right? There's kind of I don't know, to crudely break it down, you could do a, a fear-based pitch and a fulfillment-based pitch. And maybe that assigns too much negative or positive uh, connotations to them. But I like to sort of say, you know, do this, whether it's praxis or reading a book or going to your entrepreneurship camp, this, I guarantee this will make you a better version of yourself. You'll be more fulfilled. You'll be, it'll make you better at everything you do. And that gets me excited. But, but most people, it just sounds like, Somebody is just making stuff up, selling a bunch of fluff. There's no content right. to it. Like, oh, it's going to make me better at everything. What, what does that mean? That's not tangible. Everything is not something quantifiable. But to say with entrepreneurship, for example, um, entrepreneurship is going to be the most necessary trait increasingly in the future. Jobs are coming to an end where you just do a specific task for a specific company for your life. You know, robots and software can follow rules better than humans. The value on the job market or the value in the marketplace of creative problem solving, that thing that's uniquely human, that robots and machines can't replace, it's it's not a luxury just to make your life better and more fulfilled. It's actually becoming a necessity. And to kind of pitch it that way, which sounds a little bit like a fear-based pitch, like, look, if you're not on board with this, you're going to get left behind. Right. Um, but sometimes it's more relatable to people to say, hey, if your kids don't know how to think entrepreneurially, they're going to be kind of, you know, uh, at a huge disadvantage, but if they do, it's never been easier than it is today to take advantage of all the tools we have at our disposal. Um, and that's just more oftentimes more tangible to people than, than the message that I love, which is like, who cares what the outcome is? It will be great because you're going to be a better person, you know? Same. And I think that might actually be a bit of a disconnect too. It's for both of those pitches. I think one is more of like that whole stereotype of entrepreneurs where we're just kind of like running around doing things we love and don't actually have a job. Yeah. We're just creating things. Yay. Um, and then the other pitch, which is more of like futuristic, like what will happen to your kids in the future? Whereas I think that my problem too was that all of these parents were in the school type stage of yeah. life to where yeah. they want to know what is going to happen, like what their kids are going to benefit from now. So they go to public speaking classes because that will help them get a job interview at Chick-fil-A or something like that. So um, I personally saw both sides of those benefits, being a better person overall, being a very well-rounded person and being a part of like the progressive stage and, you know, but help it made you useless a for Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like I got to get out of here. <laughs> yes. Um, Abby, what is next for you? So you start Praxis very soon and how are you going to pivot this desire to help young people get the chance to play around with entrepreneurship? Do you have any concrete ideas yet for, for ways that you might, you know, try to channel that as you mentioned? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate for mentorship. So I really, my goal for the next year or so when I won't have as much time to run summer camps is just to stay in contact with parents with young people and to blog about it and to um, have relationships with some younger kids and just to talk to them about creating things. And if anyone has an idea 
I want them to feel like they can come up to me and say, hey, I have this idea, what should I do to market it? Or what should I do to see if this will actually work? So I think that for the next year, um, I just want to be available for people, for parents, for coaches, for kids to be able um, to explain why entrepreneurship is so important and to be able to teach that. And even not because I'm an expert on entrepreneurship, but just because I'm so close to that stage um, of being a 12 year old. I mean, I was just 12, six years ago and, um, and I'm so close to coming out of that. And I was just there that I feel like I have that really close experience and I want to make that available to other people. I'm also, um, involved with this debate, um, debate company called ethos debate. And I'm there, my official title, which is on my resume is director of operations, but I just kind of, I run their summer camps. And so, and we're working on, getting some Udemy courses and things like that. And the CEO of that company is also an entrepreneur and he runs his own startup company. And so I can see myself having a lot of connections through that company and hopefully being able to teach a lot of classes on the transference of being a debater and being an entrepreneur and how both of those things are so important in life. Abby, uh, very, very exciting. There's nothing that gets me more energized and, and, you know, full of sunshine than talking with people like you, because I feel like, uh, oh, well, it almost doesn't matter what I do now. Cause people like Abby are just going to go build and create all kinds of amazing stuff that I get to benefit from. So I can retire. Um, actually retirement sounds like a terrible, uh, it sounds so terrible. Uh, what it, would you do all day? It sounds like purgatory, a lot of shuffleboard. Uh, how can people connect with you, Abby? Uh, you can reach me on my Facebook page. All my social media is Abby Lovett. I also have a blog, which has a cheesy name right now, but I personally love it. It's loveitup.com. Um, oh, that's great. On- I love wordplay. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, Abby- love it up. It's L-O-V-E-T-T up.com. Yes, loveitup.com, just like my last name. Yes, and then you can always email me at abigail.m.lovett at gmail.com. Excellent. Abby, this has been great. I am really excited to uh, see what you do and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks.